Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. I want you to get your Bibles out quickly. Uh, you can take that down, Amanda. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, there's not a clock. A clock? No. No clock? We don't do clocks? I got... Oh, this is good. I'm good. Uh, what time do you guys normally... Get done? <laughs> I never preach past 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. I've already got one of those this week. One's enough, bro. Okay. Don't, be, don't beat me up too hard. All right. Uh, flip open, since we're already been in 2 Corinthians, flip open, just hold it open on your lap. I'm going to walk you through this and see, uh, see where it takes us today. Um, where was I? Amsterdam. I was uh, speaking at a conference in Amsterdam. It was a little early. I like to be early, just talk with people, set up the table. So I'm, I'm walking from the hotel to the uh, auditorium where I'm going to speak. And like I said, a little bit early. And I noticed a museum. I'm a history guy. I love history. Uh, History repeats itself because we're too stupid to learn the first time. So history continually, all through the ages, has to repeat itself in hopes that something connects. So I'm walking through this Dutch museum. Just looking at some things are in English, some was translated, some wasn't. But I saw this statue. The statue was two hands, like this, just clasped together. I thought, well, that's a little unusual. So there's a stanchion next to it, and it was, it was in several different languages. So I'm reading this, reading, and I think, I know this story. I've read this story. So I read, read, read. Then I saw the name. I thought, there it is. It was a story about a man by the name of Dirk Willems. Christian in Amsterdam, a very vocal Christian, apparently too vocal for the government at that time. And Willems knew that the government was unhappy with him because of his life of Christ and constantly kind of shoving it in the government's face. Well, the government apparently was, had made the choice to just kill him. They were just going to torture him, kill him. So the word was out. Willems knows, okay, they're coming to get me. So he's on the run. Now watch this. So this was February, if my memory serves me right. So Willems kind of a smaller guy. He's running out of town. He's going to try to escape the government guy that's coming to get him. Government guy, apparently a bigger guy. He's going to catch him, bring him back into town. They were going to put him in front of everybody, set him on fire, burn him to death because of his faith. Right, now follow me. So Willems is on the outskirts of town. He's running across this frozen lake. Okay, Smaller guy. He gets across the lake. The big guy, the government guy that's chasing him, gets about halfway across the lake. He falls through. Can't swim, 
drowning, screaming for help. No one's around except our boy. Willems hears the guy screaming for help, stops, sees him. This is the guy that's taking him to be burned to death. Now, what you going to do? Mm -hmm. Follow this. He, he was free and clear, folks. He could have just kept on going. Sees the guy drowning. He runs back across the lake, reaches down, grabs the guy, pulls him out, saves his life. But the guy still takes him in. Okay? So it's about two weeks later. Willem's got his hands tied behind his back. The story, obviously, of how Willems had saved this guy, the guy still brought him in, has now circulated. So they're just ready to light him up. And the crowd gathers. You know how that goes. The crowd gathers. Somebody from the back yells at Willems, Hey, Willems, why'd you do it? And somebody else picks it up. Why'd you save his life? You knew he was taking you to your death. You know what Willems said? He said it was a reflex. Listen to me. It was a reflex. So my question to you in the time we have left, what makes the difference between the Christians that have the kind of reflex living out of the need is the call to see right there and respond? What makes the difference between those that have that kind of reflex and those that do not? Now, we could wax extremely philosophical on this, but at the end of the day, it's not philosophical at all. So I want to show you something that maybe you've seen this, I don't know, maybe, maybe you haven't, but it's worth taking a couple of minutes to kick it around, I think. Because in the day and time in which we live, especially now after this pandemic, I had it in May. I get it. Hey, I'm in that, that group. You know, it's like, oh, he's an old guy, and now he's got it. Yeah, okay. Um, I, got, I got through it, but a lot of people that we know did not. I understand that. It's been a tough time. It's been a tough time in this country. Tough time for many of you, I'm sure. Some of you may have lost loved ones through this thing. I understand that. But now, as we move past it, and we will, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us as the church? What will become the reflex now? The feelings, the emotions, the fear that so many folks have experienced over this year that we've been dealing with this thing. Now what? What kind of folks will we be after the smoke clears and we've had mask burnings by faith? <laughs> what, 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 what are we going to be? He said it was a reflex. Now, 
You know, when you go to get your physical and you have the doctors kind of poking around at you and you're sitting on the, the little bed thing there and your legs are hanging over the edge, you know, and they take that little dopey mallet, hammer thing, whatever it is, and they smack you right there. And if you have any life in you at all, if you've got anything going, when they smack you here, your leg moves. <laughs> I was in San Francisco. This would only be San Francisco. And I was talking about this, and a lady came to the back table. She said, Pastor Bill, you're very dramatic. Pastor Bill. I said, what? She said, I decided I wasn't going to let my leg move no matter what he did. I don't know why that, but that was in her mind. She was going to beat. She was going, I said, how'd it go? She said, I was so mad, my leg just jumped. She said, no matter how hard I tried, I could not keep my leg, from, she said, from jumping. A reflex. So where does that leave us? What does this have to do with us? What brought, even as pastor was talking about some of the things that Paul had dealt with, because I was in a, a group of uh, theologians trying to decide what was the catalyst for Paul becoming the missionary? He goes from being the murderer to the missionary. What? How did that happen? Was there some factor? I mean, we saw everything that he went through. That wasn't even all of it. What? How does that happen? How does an ordinary person go from being this to this metamorphosis and becomes this missionary. Well, we, we were all in this group of the theologians, and they were all adding their two cents, and they were talking about the Damascus Road experience. I've walked on the Damascus Road myself at midnight. So I, if you've ever been to the Holy Land and been a couple places, it helps. Things become a bit more, what's the word I want to use? Kind of real, a little more visual. So everybody's got an opinion, and I always like to talk last. I like to have the last word. It's kind of a New York thing, I guess. And when I've given the last word, the meeting's over, and we're done now. Uh, so we, I said, gentlemen, I said, I, I, I believe I can, I, can, I can give some insight into this. And so I took them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5.14. In Paul's own words, he explains it. There we go, right there. For the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That word constrains, for some reason, gets overlooked. So let me just take a couple minutes, throw a few things at you, See if it makes sense. He said the love of Christ. Is there something that you and I, as ordinary folk, can point to and say, that's the factor that judges all groups, that crosses all groups? What exactly happens when someone, if there's a connection with what Christ really did, this word constrains is actually the Greek word syneko. 
It's only used one time in the New Testament in a context like this. And I'm not going to do a bunch of Greek with you, but it's worth walking you through this. And some of you may want to take notes because this may be one of these ones that you may want to walk somebody else through this because when you get it, it's going to make sense to you. All right? The love of Christ constrain, and I like that he said us, semicolon, it didn't, he didn't just say it constrained him. Got it? He said the love of Christ constrains us. It does something to us all by itself. No secret sauce, no added ingredients. The love of Christ has that innate something, something. That when it connects with somebody, something happens. Something happens. Hmm. So this word constrains, without boring you with a bunch of word salad, I, I'll get, get this to you, and I know you'll grab it. In any language, if you look it up in the dictionary, normally there will be a primary definition. You know, like when you look it up in the English dictionary. Look up the word as a primary, a secondary, blah, 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 according to the text and the context of how the word is used. This word, seneco, is one of those weird words in the Greek that has three primaries. What does that mean? It means when it was used, it, had, it meant three things all at the same time. Now, even in Mandarin or in Hindi, you don't see that. Every language has its own kind of system for explanation and, and defining terms and words. So, Paul uses this word suneco, or constraints, in this framework. Why? Because this word, oh my God, the love of Christ, all by itself, does three things, all at the same time. It's one of the few Greek words that would have been applicable enough to communicate what he was trying to say to the church at Corinth so they would get it. To understand. So it was just a historical thing that happened. There's more to it than that. So I'm going to give you the definitions, the three definitions, the three meanings of that word real quick, and then we'll be done. Number one, it moves you towards something. And actually, one of the old... One of the old English dictionaries, it's a great, it's a great definition. It says, it forces motion in an unnatural manner. Let me say it again. It forces something to happen. It forces something. When you understand what Jesus really did, look at me. Not what you think he did, not what you read he did, not what you heard he did, not what someone explained to you that they think he did. But when you actually grasp what he did, and that connects with you, you, not your grandma, not somebody else, no, when it connects with you, something happens. Tony, there's a little black bag somewhere. I don't know where to, where did I put it? I threw it, oh, there it is, right there. Bring it up there for me. Yeah, thank you, sir. 
And I carry this thing with me. It's my little bag here. I carry this with me. It's a little difficult to explain going through security at the airport. But here it is. All right, so here we go. Now, here's the best way for me to explain this to you guys. Here's your power source. Everything you need to make something happen is right here. And we're going to pretend this is a little Tennessee fan. You can't see it. It's invisible. It's Tennessee. It's here. Okay. Here's your power source. Here's plug. Now, I was raised classic Pentecost. I only admit that when it's convenient. But so I was raised because my mother never came back. Camp was over. I had nowhere to live, so they cleaned out a maintenance closet, put a piece of foam rubber in there. That was my mattress, and I lived in that closet for almost three years. So every time there was a service, I was right there. I was like you guys. I was right I'm just sitting there. I had no idea what was going on, but I was going to try to learn. So, and there was, remember in the old days, some of you young people don't know this because you don't know anything, but for those of you... For those of you older folks, you'll remember this. We used to have testimony services. Wednesday night, yep, remember that? Testimony services on a Wednesday night. I was just sitting there, just watching, taking it all in. This one lady, her name was Sister Shoop. Every week, she would give the same testimony. I could give her testimony better than she could do it herself. Because I heard it every Wednesday night. It's like, it's still part of the canon for me. It's like it's memorized. <laughs> Here's what she said. She said, I've been following close to the Lord for 50 years. Now, on a Wednesday night, that sounds pretty good. But now let's analyze that testimony. I've been close to something. You just got it, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, you got it. I've been, see, it sounds great on a Wednesday night, but the reality is, this is what she was saying. Here's the power source. Here's the plug. You can be this close. It sounds good, folks, but ain't nothing going to happen. It's just, matter of fact, let's take it one step. You can be this close. I mean, right there. You can be, how many people do you know aren't around here anymore. <laughs> yeah, bunch of them, huh? Yeah, I know, I get it. Yep. Thousand preachers a month in the United States still quit the ministry. A thousand a month. And if we line those suckers up here and ask them, did God call you? You know most of them would say yes. So, okay, so God called you the God who created the heavens and the earth. Everything else is made in China. But the God who created, it just is, folks. It needs to change. And you said he called you, and now you're what? You got disappointed? You got discouraged? You got disillusioned? Shame on you. Shame on you. I'll slap you myself. Because somewhere on the journey, something got sideways. Maybe, 
maybe they weren't quite close enough. Maybe they thought they were, but, but, when this, when this, all of a sudden, something happens. What was nothing before, when suddenly something connects, and now, you understand what I'm saying? You know. So, see, this comes from all the years of working with kids. Object lessons will do it every time. I don't care if you're five or 50, you're going to remember this stupid little thing. Yeah, because that's, that's how it works. That's how it works. It, it pushes you. It, when you get close enough and it connects, something moves all the way down the line. When, when this thing, when the power is connected to it, all the little molecules in this plug and wire do not get together to vote. They don't have a board meeting. They don't get all the board of demons together and try to figure out what do we need to do now. No. When this thing connects, it does not have a choice. It's not an option. You're going to move, Bubba and Bubbettes. You're just going to move. You don't get to think about it. You don't get to vote on it. You don't get... Come on, Jesus. When you understand what he really did, something hits you. It connects you. See, I'm going to Lagos, Nigeria coming up. That'll be my next overseas run. Uh, we're going to be starting Metro Sunday School in Lagos. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going back. I don't know if I'm going to make it on that trip, but I'm going back. It's okay. It's, just, it's almost over. Don't worry. We're going to get through this. We'll be fine. Up. Oh, we're going to change mics. Okay. Give us the other mic. Just do it. Wow. That, that mic is anointed, brother. Be careful. This one here? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I should have had this one to start with. All right. All right. Okay. Sounds good. That sounds, that sounds much better. All right. So. When I go back to Yemen, okay, we've got to, we're going to pick up some food there in, uh, in Djibouti, there on the Horn of Africa, load up on a little boat, run it across the Gulf of Aden, and get a, we found a place where we, a little port to uh, get some food and medicine in there. But we already know, we already know that that's the run that the Somali pirates make. We were all talking about it last night. I know, I know that when we try to cross that gulf and try to get that food and medicine, I know what we're going to run up against. Come on, folks, I'm 72. I'm 72. But guess what? I don't have a choice. Let me just tell you something. I don't have a choice. I don't. I'm a grateful man. See, I should have been dead. Like he made that thing, if, if you're still alive, God's not done with you yet. You have no idea what he said there. You have no idea of the truth of what he said. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I, should, I should have been going. I've walked away from three plane crashes. Nobody walks away from three. You know, well, it was two walks and a hobble, but uh, to me it was three. <laughs> I still have a little, little quirk sometimes. But you understand, I should have been gone, guys, a long time ago. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. But I am. I understand what Jesus did for me. I'm very aware. I'm very aware. Why do you think I still go back to that same corner in Florida every Christmas Eve? Same place. I sit in the same place for those that I sat those three days. I sit there all night Christmas Eve. All night. I've done it for years. And people say, oh, why are you doing that? You can torture yourself. Mostly Christians say that. You know what you want to just. No, no, I'm not torturing myself. I just never want to forget where I came from. I never want to forget where I came from. Every one of you should have a corner somewhere, somewhere that you look at it. Even if it's in your mind and you remember that day, that point, something was put into motion. Because it's not so much what you accomplish in life as what you put into motion. That man, he died not long ago. I did the funeral. I've had some pretty hard days in my life. That was a man that never got the honor that he deserved. He never did. He put something in motion that day when he picked me up off the street. And here we are today. It pushes you. It presses you. It moves you. It forces something. Well, I'll pray about it. Shut up. If I hear one more person say, I've heard that all my life, and now it's 72. Remember, a life sentence, folks. It's not that deterrent no more. I will smack you in the head in Jesus' name because you got to try to make it spiritual, and I'll do my best. It's that cop-out. Well, no. When you understand, when you understand what he really did for you, You know what I'm saying? Why do you think Paul uses Seneco? He uses this for a reason. It moves you towards something, but the second definition is it keeps you away from something. This is where I struggled. Just not from a semantical side of it, but just, just, this is the ultimate paradox. It moves you towards something and keeps you away from something at the same time. This doesn't make sense. Then this was the Holy Ghost dropped into my head. And I said, of course, you dummy. Because when you really do connect with what he really did, that truth all by itself has the ability to keep you away from those things that the enemy will constantly throw at you to try to take you out, to try to destroy your family, to try to get preachers to quit, to try to mess up the plan, call it what you want. But when you understand it connects with you, that will keep you. People, how have you been able to do this for 50 years? I'm, I'm very aware of the purpose of God in my life. I'm very aware. I'm very aware that I shouldn't be here. I'm very aware 
that every day is a gift. I'm very aware. I understand. What's that old song we used to sing? We don't sing much. We just sing those dopey choruses anymore. But we used to sing those old songs. I walked today where Jesus walked. And I felt his presence there. I come to the garden alone where the dew is still on the roses. Remember that one? I do. I do. It moves you towards something. It keeps you away from something. But last, number three, it keeps you in something. It keeps you in something. Unique word. This word constrains. Yeah, it is. Keeps you in something. In what? In what? I think his love keeps us in his love. I think his love keeps us in his grace. I think, I, I think his love keeps us in church. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people, and I'm sure there's a bunch of people watching online, and some people usually be here, they're sitting at home in their underwear, drinking their coffee, watching this thing online. That, that's probably more information than any of us need at this point, and I get that. But let me just for the record say, there is no substitute for coming into the body, into the house, to be here. Forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of many is. Yeah. We miss you. Yeah. So get back here next week. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah. It's being in the house. Do you have that fellowship? Moves you towards something, keeps you away from something, keeps you in something. Keeps you, kept me doing what I do. Yeah. When I picked up our first lady Sunday school worker who'd been gang raped, ripped apart on one of the buildings in Brooklyn. When I was blind in his eye for three months or a guy hit me with a brick. Yeah. After we found one of the staff members dead behind our church on Sunday morning and the list and the stories go on and on. Forget the stories, get the truth. Keeps you in something. My commitment has had to be stronger than my emotions. But with, let me say that again for the cheap seats, because you all need to get that. Your commitment has to be stronger than your emotions. But our folks have a tendency to live on emotion. It's all about how we feel. Hey, I don't feel like it. Nobody cares. <laughs> it's like when people are supposed to be driving the bus in here. I don't feel like it. It's okay. Just drive the bus. We had two ladies at, and when I was in Iowa working with Pastor Barnett. <laughs> they were college roommates. Bus captain, sick as a dog, puking their guts out. Sunday morning, they showed up because that's what it takes. They, they both had a bucket. They were picking up the kids. Go, go, going out and they just they puke in the bucket throw the puke out the window pick up the kids bring them to Sunday school you say well that, that that's a little that's a little what? what what is that explain to me what that is yeah you know what that is this old school commitment folks this old school Pentecost this old school New Testament church I know whom I have believed 
And I'm still persuaded that he is still able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Pick up your bucket, puke, throw it out the window. Let's get the kids to Sunday school. That's pretty simple. When your commitment supersedes the emotion, because we don't want to be offended. I got, I got two more stops this week, and as sure as I'm standing here, I'm going to offend at least three or four people the rest of this week. I guarantee it. <laughs> because it's just different. See? Whatever it takes. We got to get out of here. Let me just tell you this. What was it? It was in Haiti. The gals down there, we helped them get their orphanage started. Amanda, do you have the picture? Do you have another picture for me? This little boy was left on the road outside of the orphanage. Uh, his name was Lubinson. Uh, it was one of those ones where a relative dropped him off didn't want him. The girls picked him up. Uh, they couldn't even feed him. They were trying to put a straw in that little hole in the tumor there, but it wasn't enough to carry it. So they sent me this picture. They said, Pastor Bill, we got this little boy. Nobody wants him. We bought him in the orphanage. We, 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 we can't feed him. We know he's going to die. We don't know what to do. I said, look, just let's try to get him to the States. We know some doctors. Maybe we can save his life. They said, we can't. I said, do you need money? I can Western Union money. They said, no. He was born out in the bush, but there was no birth certificate. So you guys know how this works. No birth certificate, no passport. No passport, no plane ride. Okay? So here we go. I said, okay, so let me get the story straight. He just needs a birth certificate. If I got it, they said yes. I said, I'll be there tomorrow. You, you heard what I said. Yes. I'll be there tomorrow. Now, I'm the pastor of the largest Sunday school in the world. So I'm going to drop everything, fly to Port of Prince Haiti, and do what <laughs> exactly? Well, I'm going to find somebody who makes fake birth certificates. <laughs> because there's always somebody. There's, all, there's always somebody that you can find, and you always carry American money. If you carry American money, you can get whatever you want. Doesn't matter what country you're in. We found a guy, makes fake birth certificates. We got the fake birth certificate, got a fake passport. We're good to go. So we get into the States. I'm thinking, okay, we're on our way. But the consensus was the same. The doctor said, nope, he's going to die, not going to make it, not going to make it. So I thought, okay, we jumped through all these hoops. And now it would have been pretty easy at that point to just write it off, right? I don't take no for an answer. I don't give no for an answer. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Okay. Man, we're trying to find somebody. And all the doctors said, even my doctor friends, they said, look, our hospital won't let us do the operation because they know he's going to die. They don't want to be liable. I said, okay. Finally, long story, there was made a contact with this uh, guy at a hospital in Miami, Jewish hospital, great uh, Miami Children's. Great. He said, we'll do the operation. He said, we'll have the interns in. We'll kind of use it as a teaching kind of thing. He said, we won't even charge you. We'll do it for free. I said, praise the Lord. 
Uh, he said, there's no preacher. He said, the boy's going to die. I said, okay. I said, Doc, I appreciate you doing this, but I would ask you one thing. He said, what's that? I said, just don't give up on the boy. Just don't give up. He said, what do you mean? I said, just see it through. See it all the way through. Okay. Don't give up. See, there was somebody who didn't give up on me. Yeah. There was somebody, one person. Hillary Clinton wrote that book, It Takes a Village, right? Great title, just not accurate. It'd be nice if the village did it. But nine times out of ten, the village's not going to do it. And that's okay, because all it takes is one. It's nice if the village jumps in, but all it takes is one. Yeah. Seven and a half hours, surgery, it's a mess. The nurse came out, said he's dying, his lungs have collapsed, and this is failing. That's, I said, is he dead yet? She said, no, but the doctor told me to he's dying. I said, is he dead yet? No. I said, please, with all respect, please go back in and remind the doc about the deal we made. What do you do when you've done everything you know to do? I prayed. I cried. Have you ever cried so much you've got no tears left? If you live long enough, you will. You will. You ever prayed like Jesus did in the garden and you're so stressed out that you just keep praying the same prayer over and over and over again? Because you've got nothing else to pray. You will someday. You will. And I'm in the waiting room and I remember I walked over, I put my head against the wall. I gave it everything I had. I said, God, he shall live and not die. Yes. He shall live and not die. It would have been very easy at any step on this, this one little story here. One, one little story. Any point in there would have been easy. Done. Amanda, do you have one more picture? Yeah. You better give God a praise. Come on, Jesus. You better give God a praise. You better give God a praise. You betcha. Take a good look, man. Take a good look. That special little boy right there. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Moves you towards something. Keeps you away from something. And it keeps you in the fight. In the battle. Pressing forward. Yeah. The greatest part about being 72. I've lived just long enough now to see this kind of stuff. So I came here to tell you guys the reflex that Willems felt to save the life of the man who was getting ready to take his superseded anything that he wanted for himself, even his own life. Do you understand what he really did? What Jesus really did? Beyond beyond our limited comprehension of the cross, because at best, it's still a bit limited. Yeah, it sure is. Father, I love you. I thank you.
Because, Lord, it stays like this. Lord, as we come out of this pandemic, the Lord, we will be able to share your love, your grace, in the exceptionally difficult times of this past year as well as where we've come through now. So I pray in the quietness of the moment that we will get a little closer understanding of the cross, your blood that was shed for us. We stand thankful today. Speak to us, Lord, so we can be your voice. Speak to us can speak through us because there's still a little boy sitting on a corner today little girl being sold today and we all know that we know that oh the blood of Jesus washes me oh the blood of Jesus shed for me and what a sacrifice that saved my life yes the blood it is my victory stand with me and sing it oh the blood of Jesus washes me oh the blood of Jesus shed for me and what a sacrifice that saved my life yes the blood it is my joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.